Hey Dons fans, Jonathan Walsh here and welcome once again to another episode of Don The Stat. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Ian Hume. Humey, how's things, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Another long week over and another long week ahead of me, but, you know, it was good to get some footy even if the result wasn't great and, yeah, just looking forward to talking about tonight and what we can take out of that Saints game because I think despite some of the reactions that we've seen, there's actually quite a lot of positives to take out of that. Yeah, I, I'm just still trying to work out where the week went. Uh, and now we're recording this on Sunday night, so I'm trying to work out where the weekend's gone. Uh, but yeah, I, I think um, amongst some of the doom and gloom, there's definitely some some things that have got better, uh, which are going to hold us in good stead going forward. So I'm looking forward to crack, cracking into it. Absolutely. And before we do that, I just want to give a big shout out to your brother, Andrew, for joining us last week and giving his eyewitness account of the practice match against the Suns. Uh, Really valuable insight to have someone at the ground uh, with his experience to be able to let us know how the team went uh, from that point of view. And another big thanks to everyone who's given us a go over the past month. We've had our biggest month of downloads uh, in February. It's more than double our previous best, which was, I think, July last year. So hopefully you've enjoyed what you've heard and looking forward to more from the season coming. And finally, big thanks to our new patrons who joined this week in Joel Harris and Michael Morrow. Any words on that, Johnny? No, no, the feedback's been great, mate. It's yep. It's been overwhelming and, and really positive and it's great hearing with people and, and talking a lot of footy stuff. So yeah, thanks everyone who's jumped on board and, and for all your feedback, both constructive and, um, and positive. It's been really good. Fantastic. So let's get on to St Kilda match. So before we get on to the match proper, obviously it was probably the first time we saw a lineup that that sort of was consummate to what we potentially would see in a round one side. So how how would you view that side as in terms of what's going to be selected for round one? Just my initial thoughts I would expect from the name side that Philip Snelling, Hind, and Baldwin would drop out from that, especially since Phillips and Hine didn't even get on the ground. Obviously, we've got fitness concerns with Caldwell. I don't think the club's come out and said anything specific about that yet. And then the players who potentially could be ready for round one in Guelphie, Langford and Stringer. Uh, and then there are some players who I think may be in trouble, uh, potentially Jones and Tipper based on, on form and, and preparedness to play an AFL game. What are your thoughts looking at that lineup that was named and how close it'll be to the team for round one? Yeah, I think given that we had the extended bench available and and the coaching staff chose not to really use it, uh, I think it's a pretty good indicator that that, that sort of core 22 or so uh, will be what he goes with uh, in round one, obviously subject to to Caldwell's fitness. And it doesn't sound like it's too bad, the, the initial report, so hopefully he's okay. Uh, but if he's not available, it does throw up a bit of a challenge with, you know, injury clouds over Hobbs, Langford and, and Heppel, and Sardis is obviously also injured. So we're really light on for midfield and wing options now. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds and, and what we might do there. I think it's pretty clear that Alan Davy Jr. has played himself into our round one side. He's he's awfully hard to leave out now, given his form in the two games that he's now played. We did first. We've really seen of of Wiedemann taking his share of the ruck duties. We used all three ruckmen last week up against the Suns. So I think we've got a bit of a feel for there that that that'll be the plan come round one, rather than the two genuine rucks, as you mentioned. Phillips was on the bench, but um, didn't get used. So I don't think we'll see him. Uh, and he did sh- show a real level of competitiveness, I thought, that I was concerned a- about that in his game. It, it wasn't something that I- I'd seen a lot of in his time at Melbourne. 
There was one bit of play in the first quarter I really liked, actually, where he went up against four Saints defenders in one contest and, and actually got the ball to ground. And, and, yeah, like I said, it's not something he's been known for. Um, so that was a good sign, I thought. Uh, and then I saw a couple of moments from Massimo overhead that surprised me. He took a really good mark in the second quarter on the last line of defence. And that looks to have been a big improvement in his game. I think it's an area that that he could be exposed. And it would seem that, yeah, he's pushed past high now for, for round one on that last sort of half-back spot, doesn't it? Yeah, I agree with that. And and just on Wiedemann, I think, as you sort of said, he's probably shown enough that he's going to be competitive against uh, clubs that are playing that sort of makeshift ruckman like we seem to intend to, probably if he goes up against, you know, a Melbourne where it's the relief Ruckman seems to be gone, you know, you're probably not expecting him to win much there, but he he seems to be a type that's going to at least break even against those other, uh, you know, part-time Rucks that a lot of clubs have. Obviously, I think Caldwell, as you sort of said, is the big one from the, that seems to be in the best 22 that may be in doubt. Uh, I think in that situation, Perkins probably plays... Uh, his midfield minutes there, but then you would hope that you'd have someone like a Langford or Stringer to come in to play that mid-sized role that Perkins seems to be named on in, on that half-forward line to fill that role there. Uh, and then I think Tipper, if they're just a bit concerned that he's not quite ready, I think there are a lot of pleasing signs from his play in the St Kilda game in terms of his competitiveness and his touch. They may feel that he needs a couple of lower key games in the VFL before he's ready to go. Uh, In that case, I think if Guelph is fit, they bring him in uh, because I think they are liking that three small forward uh, forward pressure there. It plays a big role in in how they want to defend, which was something we're going to get into as we go through tonight's episode. Yeah, I guess the other one is if Waller's not right, then Snelling has played those two practice games now, albeit you know limited minutes against the Saints. So he might even be ahead in the pecking order of Guelphie just because he's he's played those games while Guelphie's been out injured. So it, you know at least there's some options there, and and I like your comment about Wiedemann and and being able to compete against those you know makeshift or, or second string rucks. And the good thing is that we do have the flexibility in our list now, and we do play against the likes of Melbourne with two genuine ruckmen's Ruckman that we have the option to bring in a Phillips or a Brian. So, um, yeah, I, I think Wiedemann could be a, a really important piece for us going forward. Yeah. Well, look, let's get into the match proper. So, obviously, uh, Essendon 3-4-10-32, lost to St Kilda 10-7-67. As you can tell, it was a game where one side took their opportunities and one side did it with both sides having the same amount of scoring shots. I think there's an element of home ground advantage there where they understand the way the wind works and and how you kick on that ground probably played a big part there. One of the things that I thought would be interesting would be to look at the average stats from last year for Essendon and then look at how the stats played out in the practice match to get a sense of where things are going. Obviously, one practice match versus a whole season worth of stats, you know, has limited value, but it does provide some interesting points there. Some of the things that really stood out to me was the kick to handball ratio. So in 2022, across the season, it was 1.44 kicks per handball, whereas in the St Kilda practice match, it was 1.63. That really lines up with what we've heard Brad Scott wants to do in terms of being more of a kicking side than a handballing side. So that sort of reflects the style of play they're going for there. Uh, Tackles were 59 as opposed to a season average of 50. And then the big one was the inside 50 tackles where 17 in the St Kilda practice match. I think nine of those came in the first quarter uh, compared to nine and a half the entirety of the 2022 season. So that's a really pleasing stat there. 
Uh, limiting opposition marks is something we've talked about uh, in previous episodes. And St Kilda were down on Essendon season average of opposition marks. So we were giving away 100 marks per game. Last year was 93 in the St Kilda practice match. Uh, Centre clearance remains a point of strength. So plus three in that area uh, as opposed to plus 0.5 across the season. Uh, The stoppage clearance differential uh, minus 0.8 across the season, minus one in the St Kilda practice match. Again, a bit difficult to know if there's been a big change in that area. Uh, obviously, the one that everyone's been focused on is that contested possession differential. So, across the season, Essendon was minus three in contested possessions, whereas in that St Kilda practice game, it was minus 30. And, uh, you know, that was probably the thing that most people were really concerned about coming out of that game, uh, even in that first quarter when Essendon were on top, that was still down six in contested possessions there. Anything stand out for you from those stats? Uh, not not that you haven't already mentioned. I think that, you know, the inside 50 tackles is a big tick. I think I went back and we only had more than 17 on one occasion last year. So to, to do that early under a new coach is a, is a really good sign that that's starting to become part of our game. The contested possession differentials obviously concerning if you look at it in isolation but what we don't really know is is what our midfield was instructed to do in this particularly in the second half uh i know we were sort of down in that that area for most of the game we got off to a good start through the midfield but but it dropped away after that but you know we got you know the likes of caldwell who's only just come back to contested footy parish has missed a fair chunk of the preseason those kinds of things so yeah nothing really stood out uh that that came as a real surprise based on what we've heard and, and what we even saw in the Suns game. The goal kicking was obviously uh, a bit disappointing. We missed another five or six shots in entirety as well. So, uh, and, you know, some some ones that you really expect guys to to kick going forward. So, uh, so yeah, that was, that was a little bit of disappointing, but I don't think it's worth getting too, too upset about it. I think, yeah, stats are... Every team goes into practice games with different things that they want to get out of it and... Uh, you know, I think we have to take on face value. There was there was some things said post match uh, by the likes of like Andrew McGrath and, and whatnot that they feel like they've got a lot out of the practice game. So I think you know it feels a little bit that way for me watching it, and um, I'm prepared to to back in what they've said. Yeah, I think that's the sort of thing you have to take at face value until you see them in the, in an actual AFL game. So obviously, how they come out in round one is going to tell us a lot about whether they actually took the right lessons out of those practice matches. So we're going to move on to what I learned. And one thing, again, for longtime listeners of this show will know is that we've been really focused on the centre bounce attendances. It really tells you how you manage your midfield resources. And, you know, it's something that we've talked about a lot where Essendon seems to rely on too few to to hold those midfield places. And that can lead to fatigue, which means we can get overrun at the end of games. Uh, So looking at how they broke that down in the practice match, they still were relying on that big three of Merritt, Parrish, and Shield to attend centre bounces. Uh, Shield attended 70%, Parrish 64%, and Merritt 58%. And then you had Setterfield and Perkins, who both went at 47%. So Caldwell only attended two in the first half. Uh, that could suggest he's behind Setterfield and Perkins in the pecking order. Although, as you've sort of said, he's been limited in terms of his contact throughout the preseason. He's been wearing the green cap during those scratch matches at Tullamarine. 
which means that they, they don't want him to have any contact. So they may still have been limiting him in that area, even in the practice matches, hoping to have him right to go for round one. So again, it'd be interesting to see that. Now, those percentages are a better spread of resources in my view, particularly the top percentage of of 70% there. We would see in games sometimes where all three of those players were over 70% and then you'd have the next player down at about 20%. And that meant that for the most part, you could stretch out your midfield resources a lot better. So if you look at the difference between the top attending midfielder and the fifth attending midfielder for Essendon, there's a difference of 23%. If you compare that to what Geelong did last year across the season, their spread from their top attending midfielder to their fifth attending midfielder was also 23%. And again, if you compare that to what Essendon did last year, this over the season, the spread between the first and the fifth was 40% across the year. So the fact that they've narrowed the spread between the first and the fifth, I think is a real positive and is something that they should be looking to continue going forward to best manage their midfield resources. I hope that made sense. It's a lot of numbers it's it's easy for me to, to see it when I actually got it written down. Uh, so hopefully you guys understood what I explained there, uh, listening to that back there. Yeah, no, it, it it certainly made sense to me. I think that's right. And and this is going to be something that's going to take a little bit of time to click just with the different balance running through the midfield. But I, I think we're certainly going to be better for it in the medium to long term by having more players rotate through through the midfield and to see Perkins get you know, pretty close to 50% of, of his game time or of total game time played through the midfield, I think is a is a big step forward for, for his development. And then, you know, also the development of what our midfield looks like going forward. Yeah. And so, as, as I said, it's something we'll be monitoring throughout the remainder of the year. Another thing that was really pleasing, and it may not seem that way when you, you lose a game by uh, 30 points or so, but the defensive, sorry, but the defensive structure seemed to have made a large improvement, particularly in terms of preventing coast-to-coast goals from kickouts uh, across both practice games. And we've had a lot of opportunity to defend this, given we've kicked 28 behinds. We've only conceded three inside 50s directly from kickout, and that is there's no interruption in play, such as a stoppage or an intercept by an Essendon player, and no scores. So the caveat may be that the windy conditions have played a part and made it easier to defend there. Uh But in my view, that's a real positive again, given what was happening last year. What have you noticed about the defensive structures on kickout that may have led to this improvement? And there was actually a really good question on Twitter from Mitch McConville talking about why they may allow that short 15-meter kick into the pocket. Uh, That was something that he uh, felt should be defended more vigorously. So I think you're going to address that a bit later, but I just wanted to bring that up because that's uh, something that was brought up with us uh, after the game. Yeah, it was a good question for Mitch, and uh, it, it was obviously a huge problem for us last season. I, I do think it's an improvement, uh, and in fact, I think the, the way that we set up the ground defensively is the biggest improvement of the offseason for me. It wasn't perfect, and, and I didn't expect it to be, and and hopefully I would expect most Dons fans didn't really expect us to, to be able to turn around what was a pretty poor defensive setup in you know two practice games over one preseason, but... Uh, yeah, there were some issues, particularly against the Suns, but I thought it was a lot better uh, against the Saints, despite the fact that they did kick that, you know, had that run of six goals in the second quarter, which, you know, wasn't great, but it wasn't the typical run against us that we saw in 2022. Their, their first goal came from that first centre bounce of the second quarter, and I actually thought Ridley 
was a bit unlucky not to be paid the mark, but it was a good crumb goal. And, you know, that sort of happens, you know, out, out of a centre bounce, 6-6-6, six, 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 and there's a bit more space and it's a bit harder to set up and defend. So, you know, that's sort of the rub of the green and, and it happens there. Their second goal, uh, Laverde lost his feet sort of just outside of the defensive side of the wing and, and Higgins got a free kick uh, against Ridley, I think it was, sort of gave him the old-fashioned, you know, whack behind the ears and, and he kicked that goal from outside 50, which, you know, probably isn't normally in, in Higgins' repertoire, but he obviously had some local knowledge, I reckon, of, of kicking a goal from that spot. It was pretty much the identical spot on the ground to where Jones missed his one in the first quarter. Their third quarter, uh, their third goal, sorry, was was one where Waller gave away a free for that um, was too high on Stocker, and um, and then Ridley was outmarked at the back of the pack, which nine times out of ten, um, I, I think Ridley probably spoils or, or marks that ball. It just sort of got a little bit big on him and, and carried a little bit further than he thought. Then they got one from a stoppage in their forward line where Parrish fumbled. He should have won that ball. He's normally cleaner than that. And then McGrath was on Butler's left side instead of his right, which is, you know, some poor positioning from McGrath. But he's smart enough to to fix that and get better. And then their their fifth goal was, uh, was again, from outside 50. That was that free against Draper for a ruck infringement, which I think was because he encroached in the the one-metre zone, you know, that, that one that that rucks are meant to stand a metre apart and never do. I don't think I've ever seen a free kick um, paid uh, for that one. And, and then, um, you know, so then that goal was scored from from outside 50 again. And, and then the last one was that Cali turnover where, you know, not his fault. He was he was looking for an outlet under pressure and and our forwards didn't seem to have really pressed up high enough and, and they intercept marked and, and kicked a goal. So, uh, you know, six goals on the trot. Not great. And, you know, here we go again, you know, would be a, a pretty easy feeling to take from that. But we're a bit unlucky from the first. And then there was a couple of free kicks, as I mentioned, where, where they scored goals from outside 50, where they, you know, they really knew the local conditions a lot better than we did. In between that, you know, Davey missed that one from, you know, kicked it out on the full from about 20 metres. So, yeah, like I said, it, it wasn't doom and gloom, but it wasn't. It also wasn't those fast transition, you know, turn the ball over in our forward line or in the midfield, they take it from one end to the other. There wasn't any of that. So I, I think um, I think it was a big improvement. And then also, if you just look holistically across the game, and, and I will get on kicking onto kick-ins in a second, but uh, I think we just really did set up uh, a lot better than what we've seen in the past. Um, you know, Zerk Thatcher had five intercept marks of the game. Andrew McGrath had five. So, you know, really good sign that that they've um, they've set the ground up really well. Despite um, despite the Saints having, you know, their ascendancy with, um, you know, with inside 50s and getting the ball going their way more often than, than we could. We didn't really see our defenders exposed one-on-one too often. And in fact, I think we only lost two one-on-one contests for the game. Laverde lost one and and Baldwin lost one. So we were able to provide help a lot more often and, and, and force contests. So, um, so yeah, and then, uh, you know, we held them, I think it was goalless in the first quarter and then to one goal in the last quarter when they were kicking with the win. So, you know, uh, their home deck, we kept them to nine goals. Uh, they kicked pretty straight. We didn't. So I, I don't think it was was all that bad given where we've come from. But back to kick-ins. Between us, we've gone back and looked at, at the two games and 
and we didn't concede a score from from kick-ins uh, across the two games. And in fact, St Kilda didn't get a single inside fifty, and and we were actually able to convert a couple of scoring opportunities ourselves from their kick-ins. So. Uh, so that's a big improvement. You know, we, we know that we were easy to play against last year when the opposition got the ball in our forward line and we were able to clear it and get it down the other end of the ground really, really quickly. And there was really only one kick in for the game and that was their last one where they got anything that resembled some level of quick ball movement. But even then, the ball barely got past the wing. So I think all in all, to to not concede an inside 50 from the number of kick-ins that, that St Kilda had, I think was a, a really good result. And then structurally in the way that, that it looks like we've gone about it, we saw some changes throughout 2022. And towards the end of the year, we seem to have sort of four players in a zone, two at the front, two at the back, sort of basically scouting the outside. And then through the middle of the ground, we were man on man. And, you know, the, sometimes that helped. But, but the problem is when you're trying to cover all of the ground, what you inevitably do is you create holes for the opposition to kind of pick you apart. And you're giving access and options all through the ground. So what you really want to do, knowing that you can't protect and defend the whole ground, is is concede some areas that you're happy to allow the opposition to get into. And and we really did set that up by having Waller and, uh, you know, either Davey or or Menzi sit back in, the, in those pockets and concede that short kick wide. And, and the key in doing that, though, is what happens next. And what we now have is some forwards with some real leg speed that can go and close down that space quickly. And and if you do want to go back and watch it, what you'll notice is that even though we can see that kick, Walla in particular, and in the third quarter, it was almost him every single time, uh, he was able to get there really, really quickly, take the, take the space, take the mark, and ensure that they had to stop and they weren't able to get quick ball movement from there. And then once you've got them penned in to one side of the ground, you force you, you really do force them to slow down and it allows you to set up behind and uh, you know if we think about last year how often we got frustrated that our own kick-ins you know so often resulted in Ridley going short to the pocket and then we got stuck well that's what we were doing to St Kilda and and I think we did it really well because you what it's it's meant is we've made the ground smaller and, and they either then have to go long down the line where we're well set up and and it made it a lot easier for us to then be able to either win the ball back through an intercept mark or to to create a stoppage, get you know, get the ball out of bounds or, or to get a ball up. Or they have to go short and wide the other way and take a risk to go across goal. Uh, but then again, because we're set up and it's slow, slower ball movement, it gives us the opportunity to then adjust and, and, and move across the other side of the ground. And, and it got to the point where St Kilda didn't really try and, and take that switch on. So... You know, at, at no point, like I said, did we did we allow them to get fast ball movement. No point did they threaten to score, didn't concede a, an inside 50 from, what was it, 17 behinds or, or something like that, 14 behinds. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think that's a big win, mate, in, in how we're going about things in 2023 compared to 2022. Really great explanation there. And hopefully, Mitch, that sort of answers your question there about why that short kick is allowed. We're going to move on to the what I want to know. And obviously the big talking point as we we brought up earlier was the contested possession differential, which was down 30 across the game. As I said, even though Essendon were on top in the first quarter, they still lost it by six. 
So if you think about last year, there were only two wins for Essendon where they lost the contested possession. That was against Adelaide where they lost it by 21 and North where they lost it by 15. I think uh, with the Adelaide game, they were getting a lot of their contested possessions in their back half because we, we were quite dominant for most of that. And then they were slingshotting forward, whereas North were getting most of their contested possessions in the middle of the ground, but we were winning it back through intercepts and then moving it quickly up the ground. So if the St Kilda McPractice match was played last year, it would have been our second worst contested possession differential uh, behind the Geelong game, which was minus 42. Uh, another contrast you could look at is with last season's St Kilda game in the regular season. Essendon won that by 23. Uh, if you go to Essendon's top three contested possession winners from that game, they were Caldwell, uh, who was injured halfway through the practice match, Stringer and Hind, neither of who played in the practice match. So a few points of reference there. What were your thoughts about the contested possession differential and particularly about how the midfielders went about it? To be honest, but I don't really have a lot of thoughts on it. Uh, I, I wasn't that concerned. It, uh, I didn't see the game live. I had a, a work event, so I couldn't watch it. I couldn't get to the ground and, and then couldn't, couldn't watch it live. So I knew the scores and I knew the, the stats going into to watching the replay yesterday a, a couple of times. So it, I was able to, you know, by that stage, you know, any emotion that I might have had or any feelings about the result, I'd well and truly processed. So I was really able just to to take it in and watch it for for what it was. Yeah, I, I think we know that we're capable of much better performances at the coalface than, than what we, we saw. And, and we don't really know what the coaches were looking to get out of particular players. Like we've already touched on, Caldwell and Parrish in particular have had interrupted pre-seasons. So it, it could very well be that those two, you know, the plan was just to get some miles into their legs. I know Caldwell ultimately went off injured, which is which is disappointing. But without knowing all of the information, it, it's really hard to, 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 to sort of have a view on it one way or another. The thing is that they're known quantities. You know, we know Caldwell's really hard. We, we know he'll crack in. We know he can defend really well at, uh, through the midfield too. We know he's better than what he's shown. He's a, he's a young player on the rise. And then with Parrish, we know that he's a he's a hard worker. We know that he's a really good contested ball winner. We know that he's a lot better than that. So I, I would hope now that he's had a couple of games under his belt, we're going to see improved performances from him going forward. What I wanted to see out of our midfield was some change and, and some evolution. And I wanted to see Setterfield and Perkins in particular I think Setterfield's shown enough across the two games that he's going to help us in that area. I, I think he was our number one contested ball winner on the ground. So I think that's a, an improvement in itself. I was a bit curious to see that he was eased off in the second half and spent some time on the wing. But, you know, that might just be game management and, and perhaps we called well not there. Setterfield had to do a little bit more than than maybe they planned and, and they just wanted to ease him off a little bit by putting him there. It it may have also been that we just wanted to have a look at some other options given that we're we're lacking some depth there. And and I guess because of his height, he does give us uh, some aerial ability on a wing uh, um, in terms of being able to push back and, and help in defence. So so it, it might have been part of them. But again, we're, we're guessing and, and we really don't know. But what he's done over the two games, I think, is a tick for us going forward. And then, you know, Perkins didn't have a great game. He, he had some moments, both good and bad, but... As you mentioned, he he attended nearly forty seven percent or forty seven percent of centre bounces. So nearly half the game he spent through the midfield, and and that's an increase for him. And and he'll only get better for that. So 
yeah, I think if we look at that contested ball number in isolation, it's pretty damning. But without knowing the full details of what we were trying to achieve, it's hard to to get too caught up in it. And tick for Setterfield, tick for Perkins. Uh, our midfield's depth has increased. We know we've got, you know, Hobbs and Sardis on, on their way back from injury as well. So I think we're just starting to see some some more options to be able to play through there. And and that's um and that's a positive in itself for me. Yeah. I think just on Perkins, he just needs time. He missed his top age year level of his under 18 uh, side through COVID. And that's when he would have played a lot more midfield time. Obviously he's come through the side mainly as a half forward uh, and he's had to play a lot of AFL because they haven't trusted the VFL program to be able to send him back to get those midfield minutes. So it's really important that the club plays him in the midfield to find out just just what kind of player he is, whether that's in the AFL or the VFL. Um, I think given the signings that we're seeing for the VFL side, I think we can be a bit more confident that a player can go back into that side and get the development they need. They're not just going to play in a side that's going to get belted by 100 points and not really get anything out of it. So, But he just needs to play midfield time just to see if that is what his go is going forward or whether we have to cycle back to him being a creative half-forward Hopefully it's the the former and he does become a powerful midfielder that can influence games there. I think the final thing before we wrap up tonight is to just after that result, what are your big concerns before the start of the season? And for me, the big concern at the moment is Harry Jones. Uh, There does seem to be a commitment to play three tall forwards in the side. And the question is Jones currently doing enough to be starting round one. If you think back to Jones in 2021, he was roaming up the ground, taking taking marks and then being that that outlet kick out of out of the defensive 50 and being able to move it forward. If we had a 2021 Jones, that allows Peter Wright to stay closer to goal. As we pointed out by Charlie Dons on Twitter, Wright was having to go up to, you know, the halfback flank in order to get a touch because Jones wasn't being an effective outlet. If you go look at the, the player rankings in a game, they're they're not the best marker of, of how players going, but he was only ranked above Caldwell, Snelling and Baldwin. Uh, Caldwell was obviously injured halfway through the game and then Snelling and Baldwin were only on for the last quarter and a bit. So it is a bit concerning. Do you think he's going to play round one and they're just going to hope that he comes good in the AFL? Or do you think there's a player potentially in the VFL that could fill that role and they give Harry Jones some time in the VFL to find his best form? I think it's really hard to get a gauge on things because of the conditions that the game was played in. So when we were kicking with the wind, the ball was obviously traveling a lot further and and we saw our forwards kind of anchor themselves deep and and that that created a, a problem w- within itself in in that the ball was being drawn to to congestion a lot of time, but we because we were able to keep the ball in our own half for a lot of the game, there were a lot of intercepts, re-entries from our our defenders there wasn't the opportunity to create that spread amongst our forwards either. So it, it did end up that they were sort of getting in each other's way a fair bit. And then the other end of the ground, when we were kicking with the wind in quarters two and four, well, we, we weren't winning a lot of ball anyway, but it required sort of that more controlled, slower possession because we couldn't, you know, use that long kicking to um, because the ball was being held up in the wind. So again, it didn't really create, an opportunity or an environment for him to get on those long leads and for him to get up the ground and be those outlet kicks. So, uh, look, he's he's clearly got some work to do. We know he's another one who had an inter- interrupted preseason. 
he's got plenty of football talent. I, I think he's going to be a really, really good player for us. I think the question mark is just going to be what's best for the team and for his development over the first month of the season, whether that's VFL or AFL. Voss has obviously had a really good VFL match and, and sounds like he really turned it on at the hangar on Friday. You touched on something, though, which is spot on about Jones, and, and this is where I, I don't think they're exactly like like for like. Voss, to me, looks like, at least at the moment, he's doing his best work 0-40 to 40 from goal, which is where we really want Peter Wright operating. And, and Jones, what he does really well, as you mentioned, is get up the ground and then track the ball back. Uh, which I don't think Voss is, is really ready to do yet. Uh, so if we treat this as a putting form and uh, fitness aside, if we if we look at three tall forwards that best complement each other, then I think Jones is a, is a better option. Uh, hopefully he's blowing some cobwebs out. He definitely needed the run in his legs. So, uh, yeah, I... At the moment, I'd be backing him in for, for round one, you know, another couple of weeks of training and... Um, and hopefully he's um, he's benefited from the two games and and get some touch and and then you know get him in in more suitable conditions the bigger ground at the MCG um, I think we'll see a better showing from him. Yeah, and any other major concerns to come out of the St Kilda game before round one? Uh, not not really. I, nothing that I'm I'm panicked about or or, or going to lose too much sleep over. I, I think there's obviously still a lot of work to do, but I knew that going into it. You know, everyone all fans that is has their own expectations of what they're hoping to see out of out of practice games and you know as will coaches and players for for that matter and they won't always align either so yeah i i went into this expecting to see that we still had lots and lots of work to do but was hoping that that we'd see some improvement in how we set up the ground as and as i mentioned i'm i'm pleased with that with how that's happened, I think we're likely to play round one with five guys that weren't on our list at the start of last season because yeah, it looks like Menzi and D'Ambrosio will be there, who obviously we picked up in the mid-season draft, and then Davey, Setterfield and, and Wiedemann, who we picked up over the course of this preseason. So, you know, that's a lot of change. Five guys in, in 22 is a, a big portion of your, of your you know, round one team that, that's quite different. As I mentioned, that that better defensive setup, keeping them goalless in the first quarter and just one goal in the wind in the last. I know, you know, the game sort of became a little bit of a, a, a training exercise by then and, and there wasn't a lot of intensity in it. But I still think that that's a plus. I think we've seen the benefit of the three genuine small forwards and what they can do both with the ball and without it. And I think that that's brought a huge improvement to the side. I think um, Menzi was uh, second for us for pressure acts. I think only Zach Merritt had more. So, you know, he, he didn't get on the scoreboard, but but he certainly did a lot when when they had the ball to, to help try and keep it in. There's a couple of things that I, I think need to be tightened up. I think our wing, wingers are getting sucked into our forward 50 a little bit too much when we're defending and when they've got the ball. So I'd like to see that tightened up just to make sure that we reduce the risk of them getting sucked in and, and becoming part of a, you know, sort of an overlap chain. But I, I think that'll get better in time. And then, you know, that three forwards does mean, you know, more time together and they're obviously getting in each other's way a lot. But I think, like I explained, I, I do think that's partly down to the conditions and, and it probably didn't suit. I, I reckon if we were to pick a team for a home and away game to play in those conditions, you probably wouldn't go with three tall forwards, but we've played it because it's something that we want to do over the season. We want to get those guys playing with one another. 
But if I do have one concern and it's only a small one, it's a plan B. And that's the bit that I think came unstuck against the Saints. But I don't think you're ever going to look to try and implement your plan B in a practice game when you're trying to get your plan A better down, you know, going into round one. And and what we've become, and, and it's become really clear really quickly, is we're now a team that relies on territory, on getting the ball in our front half of the ground and then using our smalls and, and our pressure to keep the ball there and create re-entries and, and scoring opportunities that way. And what happened kicking in the wind was was we weren't able to get that territory and therefore weren't able to get the games on our, our terms. So even though overall that, you know, setting our defenders high, you know, McGrath had five inside 50s, Redmond and BCT and, and Ridley had two each. Like I don't really remember a time where our defenders were getting the ball inside our own 50 that often. I, I think that's a good indicator of, of how the, the ground was set up. But because the weather conditions took that away from us in the second and, and fourth quarter, we just made it really difficult for ourselves to be able to score. And, and you know, I, hopefully that's something that that'll evolve. And, and I guess that's also where winning contested ball and, and winning stoppage and clearances will help. But, um, yeah, that that's the biggest watch for me. We, we won't get those conditions at, at Marvel or the G, but we do need to find a way to be able to wrestle back momentum when we don't have it. And and that's something I, I don't think we've seen what our plan is and how we're going to go about that based on the two practice games. But, you know, all, all in all, I think that the things that, that let us down in against the Saints, you know, contested ball, clearances, those kind of things are easier to fix than the problems that were consistently letting us down in 2022. You know, setting up the ground defensively, forward pressure, working both ways. And and they were there in, in the two practice games. Not perfect, not complete, you know, not 10 out of 10, but certainly progressed a long way from where we were. And and if those things are part of our DNA, then I expect we'll see a, a more competitive Essen team in 2023 than we were in 2022. Well, fingers crossed on that. And I think, you know, after, after going through what we've gone through tonight, again, I've come out of this process a lot more positive than... I think the immediate aftermath of the match again with that disappointment and then sort of when you break it down and look at the different elements that have improved, as you say, there's a there's a lot to like going into season 23. Well, look, that's the end of tonight's show. I want to thank everyone for listening, obviously. Uh, I will be recording the next bonus episode this week. For those who have seen uh, Anthrox's work on Twitter, you'll have an idea of who I'll be talking to. Uh, and if you're not aware of who that is, you're going to be in for a treat. Uh, he's done some really great work on the stat side of Essendon on Twitter over the past year and someone I've come really to respect in terms of their insight. So uh, it's going to go out straight away on the Patreon feed before it's going to be released on the main feed a week later. I promise I'll uh, schedule that right this time, uh, unlike my last effort with Liam. So if you want to listen to the episode a week early, you can do so by signing up to our Patreon. You can find the link in the episode's description. It's only $3 to gain access to that uh, early listen to that episode. Uh, we'll also be recording our season preview this week. So look for, forward to that coming out in your pod feeds towards the end of the week. And then we'll be getting into round one, which we're going to be either excited or terrified of, depending on your point of view. Jono, any final words? Uh, no, I think you, you've nailed it. If uh, if you are relatively new and you haven't gone back and had a chance to listen to your interview with Liam, uh, it, yeah, really worthwhile. Liam's a, a data scientist and, and takes a really analytical view towards football and has a lot of really good insights on the stats that do matter and those that don't. So, yeah, if you haven't caught up on that one yet, I, I really do recommend it. 
the bonus of that is you don't get to hear my voice. So uh, I think that's a win for everybody. And then also our our interview or, or chat with uh, Rick Edwards about a preseason, which you know sort of came out two or three weeks ago now. So a little bit has happened since then. You know, namely the fact that we've played a couple of of games against opposition. But Rick, uh, yeah, Rick's a, a great Essendon person who gets to training regularly and and has a lot of you know bird's eye view of of how training's gone down and shared a lot of great insights. So yeah, if you've only found us recently, jump on those two and and give them a listen and. Uh, uh, yeah, I think they'll you, that you'll enjoy them and, and get a fair bit out of it. But yeah, look forward to your interview with Anth. Look forward to probably going to give the replay another watch um, just to see a few more things. And uh, and yeah, we've got that long countdown now, don't we? To to round one, which um yeah, I'm in the I'm in the excited camp, mate. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think there's um you know enough uh, enough out of our two games with some some new players coming into the system and and some better defence setups that. That we should, um, yeah, we should all be looking forward to to getting to the G for round one. I know I am. Thanks, everyone. Go Dons.